Hey everybody, welcome back to the Evoke Bike Podcast. This is part two with James Piccoli and we talk about managing the big racing and training loads, also some of his favorite intervals and what he learned from the Endure book by Alex Hutchinson in Chasing Spatial Goals. A little bit about overtraining, but really more about finding where your limit is and how you do that and what the unfortunate consequence is. And then nutrition. Uh, really, it's awesome to hear. He's actually, when they're full blast, how many grams of carbs is he shooting for? And I hope you enjoy this podcast with James. Thank you so much, James, for your time. If you're listening on Apple, please leave us a review. We would greatly appreciate five-star review. Helps validate us to others and helps spread all this awesome information these, that these athletes are sharing with us. Hope you have a great day and good luck with your training. Um, trying to talk to people, I'm trying to think of where this started coming up of like turning the dials. I was talking to a guy one time, this was a couple years ago, had a really good sprint aerobically, just super poor. Like all he wanted to do was group rides and he couldn't even finish. Like if there was a 60 minute crit, he's gassed at the end. And he's like, I just can't figure out why I'm not winning. I'm like, dude, you can sprint really hard when you warm up and you go sprint. You don't need more sprint power. You need some fitness to get to the end. So then you can sprint. And it was like, you, you need to get yourself to the point of the race where you can unleash what you're really good at. But if you have all these holes in your armor, you're never going to have a shot at winning. Like it's just going to be super disappointing. So then what maybe changed when you had a coach and how much input, how does that work? How's that relationship work? Now you're at the world tour. I mean, dude, you're on one of the top 19 teams in the world. How does this coach talk to you about this? So I'm actually very, no, I'm actually very lucky in that, um, on Israel Startup Nation, we they've afforded me, they kind of trust me. And, you know, in, in talking to me, they they have learned that I understand training and and physiology and um and they give me a little bit of leash as to like what I need to do to, to prepare. So you know, I, I was honestly worried about that as I was, you know, progressing in cycling. I said, what if one day I get to the world tour? And every single day and minute and gram of my life is planned out. And then like, I don't, I don't want, like, I don't, I never wanted that. Um, and I am lucky. So, so they do give me a lot of flexibility in, in the way I train here. Um, I'd say the one thing that's changed racing in Europe on the world tour is managing racing loads and training loads. So that's another thing that changes when you get to Europe is that you race a lot more, um, you know, it's, it's hard to understand what, you know, 80 to hundred race days per year, not only what that load is, but people forget that you have to get to those races. And, you know, so for example, I just got back from Rwanda, I raced for a week and you traveled for a day and a half. Um, so multiply that by every single race trip you need to do. And, and the kind of, the equation of training gets a lot more difficult because you have, you have control over a lot less of the variables. Um, that's to be honest, took me a, essentially a whole year to figure out. Um, because, you know, up until that point, I had always had the opportunity to prepare perfectly for a race, you know, so I, I'd go to Gila. And like I said, I'd work on all the efforts I needed to work at work on. Um, I could show up hundred percent ready and prepared and I could just be, you know, razor sharp and have no, no weaknesses. Whereas on the world tour, you know, until you're like a grand tour contender, um, 
you know, I, I found out I was going to Milan San Remo about 12 hours before my flight was booked. Uh, you know, and I was training for a race in Spain, either like a stage race in Spain. And they're like, we actually, we need you to go to Milan tonight. Uh, you know, so that's, that's the one thing. Scary. Like, uh, okay. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's granted. So a lot of this, it, this is even worse now with, with COVID and, you know, people having false positives and, you know, people having real positives and people getting shuffled around. So it's the last year and a half has been a bit of a mess with that, but there is a, a lot more in the world tour, an element of uh, kind of lack of control of your racing skills or just like people moving around with racing, just because there's so many more races. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it scary at, at first it was it was really kind of discomforting because i'm someone who likes to have all my kind of ducks in a row and whenever i would get a, a switch you know it, it felt like i didn't have the chance to prepare for what i needed to do um but then this year i have more of the confidence of saying okay i'll prepare and I, i'm i'm more flexible now so okay i i know that even if I'm sent to somewhere where it wasn't expecting to go, if, if I've done some quality work, I'll, you know, I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been the story of my, the first part of the season. It's actually looking like the second part will be a little bit more planned. Um, but the first part of the season was like, I probably had no joke, 15 schedule changes. Um, oh. Like just, uh, but just it's like I said, it's the nature of a racing with, with coronavirus. And be just the world tour and having so many events and so many moving pieces um, that you just need to be flexible. Uh, Dude, I'm getting like anxious hearing that because I had, yeah. uh, it was it, Corona's messed up my timeline. I think two years ago, I was training for this. I was going to do a 350 mile gravel race in Iowa. Don't ask me why. So I was doing a lot of like super long stuff and we were going to Joe Martin and just the timeline, it sounded like we were doing the one, two race. I was like, you know, against my peers, like I'm good. Like I can be a good teammate for somebody else. And like five days or a week before like, Oh, we're doing the pro race. And I was like, Oh, that's going to be interesting. And the first stage, it was super cold and rainy and I'm not the best bike handler. So I'm like, you know, it's the whole pack first stage off we go. And I think you did Joe Martin, but it's that kind of like, twisty turning kind of yeah. up a couple climbs and i was like you know what? i'm just gonna try and get away from this group and see if something goes up the road and i tacked up in early like i don't know one two minute effort and i like look over and i'm like oh we're not at the top totally blew up got dropped <laughs> immediately it was horrible it was like just cold and crappy out and i was like okay like wasn't ready for that blasting but i was super nervous going into that race just because i, I mean i have to be in not 350 mile shape if I'm going to try and race the continental guys. And it just totally rocked me. So that's cool. They give you a lot of flexibility and I'm sure you, you're able probably then to tap into, you're so into like the science side of things, like talking to more researchers, other coaches, other athletes, like, you know, the best only get better. Um, how's that been being around other world tour guys? Just like, I'm sure soaking in a lot of that. Yeah. So that's the cool thing is that, obviously I continue to, to learn to this day and, and experiment, you know, and, and tinker with the way I train and, and my nutrition and, and all that kind of thing. And I get to learn from, like you said, the best in the world, mm-hmm. um, people who work for world tour teams. And so that's the way our, our kind of relationship is here. 
is that I'll like bounce some ideas off the, the coaching team and the nutrition team. And they'll say, Oh, try this. You know, we, uh, we've been looking at this recently or, or, you know, try these kinds of intervals or like try training on, on this side, you know, and they have all the, all the data analytics software. And so they can analyze where, where they think I could use some, some work and, you know, then they'll, they'll come to me with ideas and it's very collaborative. Um, mm -hmm. That's allowed me to con continue to learn about my body and training and, and, uh, and just, like I said, continuing to, to improve even to this day. In, in mentioning intervals, obviously you told us about the polarized training, trying to be specific to the races, but are there any favorite intervals or new intervals that you've done that you're like, man, these really like team me up to feel good before a race? Or are you more about the process and the skill of, you know, whatever's more specific to the upcoming race, if that makes sense? Uh, both. So, so when, when I do have the opportunity, I do, you know, I do like, I tailor to the specific needs of the race. Mm -hmm. Um, but in general, I, I'd say a, a type of interval that I like, I really like 40 twenties. Mm -hmm. Um, if I just want to like get a hard workout in, mm -hmm. so I'll do three to four sets of 10 minutes, 10 minute blocks of 40 seconds on 20 seconds off. Um, and I find for whatever reason, I can really push myself in, in those. And so essentially it becomes the hardest I can go for the 40 seconds average, you know, so it's not like you do one at a million Watts and you die for the rest. Um, so I tend to do them at like 500 to 600 Watts. Um, and I find just with those, it's, it really simulates kind of the race rhythm, you know, so like, um, that's another thing that people don't understand about FTP um, is that if you've ever been in a bike race, you never do exactly FTP for an hour. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. just not, that's just not how bike racing works. Even in a time trial or even up a climb alone, that's not the way that's not a, the fastest way to ride. And that's not the way a Peloton rides either. Um, so it's almost useless to, to train that way because in, in reality, in a bike race, you're, fighting for position, accelerating out of corners, uh, responding to attacks, whatever it is. And it's, it's a lot of full gas recover, full gas recover. And, mm -hmm. and I like those intervals because that's what, you know, one of the skills of racing is. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. My co I was definitely more of a steady state guy. My coach, Tom Bell's mm -hmm. a mountain biker in the UK and he, uh, is way more into like the over unders and very much in the physiological side of things of like, tolerating lactate versus learning how to clear lactate are two very different things. And, uh, so it's been really good. I've always loved having a coach just because it's, you just continue, like you said, you continue to learn, you get different perspectives. He's training for different things than I'm training for, but like coming together on the same page has really been a cool process. Um, what do you think, is there any small things that you've done in your training that's had a big impact? I'd say, I'd say, so I just said about 4020s, but the majority of what I call intervals, um, I very rarely like hit the lap button on my, on my second computer. And essentially what that means is that I'll pick a section of road or I'll pick a climb or whatever it is. That's about the length of interval I want to do. Mm -hmm. And I just do that instead of looking at my clock. And I do that for a very good reason. 
Um, I read a book called, one of my favorite books on training, which I would recommend to everyone. It's called Endure. Mm. Uh, I forget the name of Alex the author. Hutchinson. Alex Hutchinson. Yeah. Uh, and in that book, it essentially breaks down all of the variables that, that sports physiologists have, have defined of, of, you know, what it takes to be a, a high level athlete. And he, essentially breaks each one of them down and shows that at the end of the day, it's the brain that decides all of these things. Um, so whether that's VO2 max or uh, efficiency or, or dealing with heat or altitude, whatever it is, it's, it's the brain. And one of the tricks of the brain is that if you have a spatial goal, so in other words, if you have a point that you're looking at in a running race, cycling, whatever it is, that feels shorter than having a time goal. So if you're, if you're just looking and waiting for five minutes on your Garmin or whatever it is, um, first of all, that's, again, that's not how racing works. Mm-hmm. And second of all, I find I can push myself harder when I have a spatial goal. So if I just say I'm going to get to that point on the mountain or that lamp post or that whatever it is, or that finish line, um, I can push myself a lot harder than, and just staying to do X watts for X minutes. Um, that was actually a, a little change that um, that I think paid big dividends. Just and not only the physiological side of it, but just also changing the way I I, I thought of you know being able to to push myself. You know, it also sounds way more fun. It's going to be way it, more enjoyable it, to turn yourself inside out for that than. You look at the time and you're like, it's only been five more seconds. Ah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. when did you start doing that? Um, I'd say 2018. Okay, cool. Got a few more questions for you if you got time. Of course. Cool. Um, I feel bad that you just flew back and you're like making yeah. a coffee. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, did you ever feel like you had maybe trained too much or were getting things wrong? Not like you kind of talked about the high torque stuff not being for you. Any points where you're just like, I'm not doing this right? Yes. So uh, the only way to know where your limit is is to find the limit, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> so I actually learned that last year. Last year I pushed it way too hard. And like I said, um, one of the challenges of world tour is managing training load, racing load, travel load, outside stressor load. And so last year at the end of the Vuelta, I was so cooked, um, because I trained as hard as I always train. Um, and then I added to that, uh, racing stress, travel stress, uh, life stress of, you know, being in, in Europe. And, uh, I totally drove myself to the brink of destruction. <laughs> I finished that welter on my hands and knees. Um, but, uh, that's what, like I said, you, you, you only learn how, how tight you can tighten the screw once you've tightened it too tight. Um, so I've, I've, I've learned from that mistake. Um, so so is, there now, is there a warning sign now, maybe? Cause I think that's a very common thing. Like when you're feeling good, you want to add more. I've definitely done yeah. it um, to myself. What do you think? How do you, what's the red flag now? Do you think? Uh, I mean, luckily we, we get a lot of, you know, like physical and medical exams. Mm. Um, 
uh, with Israel Startup Nation. So we get, you know, regular blood tests. And so we can monitor like, like variables in our hormones, variables in our blood, um, you know, to, to see when we're actually doing damage. But obviously the first step is just like, you stop getting better. Um, and you start, you start putting in equal amounts of work and getting worse or more work and getting worse. That's like kind of the first, the first indicator. And then obviously it, it progresses to, to actual hormone imbalances, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the, the, the first, definitely the first marker is that you're, you're working harder and not getting better. That's uh, that's maybe when it's time to say like, okay, maybe some, I need to change things up or rest a little bit more or, or take my foot off the gas. That's good to hear. Yeah. yeah. Cause that's when people get nervous and like, I need more. It's like, no, yeah. don't do more. Yeah. It's a bad idea. Yeah. Last training question for you. Do you uh, cross train or lift? And if so, kind of, does it change throughout the season? It does change throughout the season. So honestly, in season, I do almost a hundred percent cycling training. I do very little of anything else. Um, off season is a different story. I like to do all kinds of just general activities. Um, stuff I, stuff I think is fun. You know, I play, I played hockey for a long time. So I like to, to skate still. Mm. Uh, I go for hikes, long walks, uh, do a little bit of, I should do more, but I do a little bit of strength training, strength training, but I should take it more seriously in the off season. Um, and just general sports with friends. Um, but nothing, uh, but off season, I like to take, um, and, and just meant as well as physically, just mentally recharge and, and mm-hmm. do things that I don't get the chance to do during the season, you know, cause you know, if I went to go play a, a game of pickup basketball, uh, before like the tour of Utah, like I would probably be wrecked for a week, you know, like you're still, I get to this point in being a professional that you're so good at one thing that it makes you really bad at everything else in your life. Like literally everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I enjoy being just like a normal human. In the season. It, it's funny that you say that Carl Patrick Lauk is a racer in uh, France right now. And he, he really enjoys walking. And he's like, I've made the mistake of being like, Oh, it's just like a five mile walk into town. Oh crap. I have to walk back. And he's like, mm-hmm. it can wreck you more when you're just riding a lot. And so, yeah, yeah some of those basic enjoyments, you're not really privy to all the time. Um, you had mentioned nutrition and we'll kind of wrap up with that. People love to hear what you're doing on all facets of training, racing, meal before the race, recovery, kind of how do you, when you think nutrition, where is your brain going? So nutrition is actually where I think a lot of the gains in the Peloton have been made in the last like five to 10 years, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Um, nutrition has really been an area where like, cyclists have started to understand um you know if you can tune it precisely to what you're doing you can get like big gains um so the answer to your question is complicated because um there's a lot you know so in a nutshell um when you race you only race on carbohydrates um and you essentially want to be able to process as much as you can um for as long as you can so you need to train your stomach, literally train your stomach and your gut to be able to absorb the maximum amount of carbohydrate you can per hour uh, for whatever your race is. Do you have a um, number that you're targeting? 
Um, we sponsor plug. We have Morton as a sponsor. I love plugs, um, dude. I love plugs. I love codes. <laughs> throw them out there. <laughs> but uh, it's Sorry, only plug something if I genuinely believe in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Morton has been something that I can tolerate a lot better. Um, okay. Cause to be honest, that was also a problem I had last year um, was I just wasn't able to eat enough during racing. And like we aim for essentially when we're racing flat out, we aim for between 100 and 120 grams per hour of carbohydrate, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't have a, if you haven't trained your stomach to be able to do that and B, if you don't have, products that that you find tolerable it's impossible to do um and of course you end up being worse because you feel terrible you know you bloat and you feel uh, just like you can't write um so yeah 100 to 120 grams an hour uh, while you're racing and then so the flip side to that is that if you want the latest research says if you want the most out of training adaptation um you should also do some time some type of training some intensity at low lower carbohydrate um because then you get a lot of cellular signaling and you get a lot of adaptation from that um and so then essentially when you get to the race you your body has has adapted to using little carbohydrate and then you can use a lot and then you kind of get both um energy pathways um but it is very complicated to plan this it's very complicated to um, get it right. Um, that's why, like I said, there's been so many gains in nutrition is because it's become so finely tuned now, um, that, you know, getting the most out of racing and training, it's like different needs and it's, it's easy to get it wrong as well. So it's easy to have not enough in training or too much in training or not enough in racing or too much in racing. Um, so that's where, like you said, nutritionists, we have two nutritionists, two full-time nutritionists on the team. And, uh, you know, like guys still get it wrong <laughs> and I still get it wrong. And uh, also I think interwoven with this for amateurs to your previous comment of a lot of people are making the easy too hard and the hard is too easy that then they're going on their quote unquote easy ride and they're doing it low carb and they're riding a ton of tempo and like low threshold and they're bonking. And I'm like, dude, that's not an easy ride and you're yeah. not eating for that ride. And so it's just like, it becomes this mishmash and then they go to do like the hard day and they haven't re- replenished the glycogen stores. They have no energy. And I'm like, oh, this yeah. is really, it, it's super complicated. Um, it's very so complicated. For people to very hear you say this is excellent. Yeah. yeah. So what are you doing uh, the day before? Does the day before maybe a one day race or going into grand tour or how are you approaching the nutrition? Are you carb loading at all? Or is it like, Tell us about that a little bit. Again, it depends on the context of the race. Um, I think also what I've learned about my body personally is to carb load. What you want to do when you carb load is to maximize your glycogen storage, obviously. Um, And for me, I find it better to have less of a carb load and replenish glycogen by lowering volume and training intensity. So in other words, like, a couple of days of just eating normally and training a little bit less and then a carb carb heavy meal um before the race Mm -hmm. the night before as opposed to doing like a big carb load 
um, and eating a lot because I find that my stomach was never able to really tolerate that well. Um, and then I couldn't eat enough in the race and then, you know, you'd have stomach problems. Um, so that's, that's normally what works with, for me is I'll eat pretty normally until essentially the meal before the race. And that's when it's time to, to, to really focus on, on carbohydrate. When you say the meal before the race, is that breakfast or is that the dinner before? That's the dinner before. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's fun. And we wish we I've gone through a bunch of different ways of trying like the two day carb load, which just seemed like way too much for me. Then like the one day carb load, where I was eating carbs all the way until I like was like in bed going to sleep. And now I've kind of mm-hmm. come to a similar thing of, and I like to stop two hours before I go to bed, just be like, cut it off, ha- go for, you know, do something so that I'm like digesting, get up, go to the bathroom. I feel way less bloated, um, but still feel like your legs are like ready to crush. And it's a really good feeling. And then, so are you with the Morton, are you drinking more of the carbs or I guess it depends on the type of race or do you like to eat also, or how does that break down? I actually like to, so one of the Morton products is 80 grams of carbs in a bottle. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's a lot, it's very sweet, but I actually, I prefer to, to drink more just because it's, it's in a stressful race situation, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's kind of easier to drink something than it is to unwrap a bar, you know? And, and that's another thing that people tend to forget about, uh, in racing is that especially in big pelotons, especially in Europe, like 99% of the time of the race, no joke is fighting for position. And that mm-hmm. takes a lot of energy and, and like, you don't have time to like, Oh, I'm going to like, enjoy this bar and i'm gonna open it i'm gonna struggle and i'm gonna take both my hands off the bars like you don't have time to do that it's just like you you, like when it comes to the nitty-gritty of race you just want to the easiest way to get carbohydrate into your stomach is that is the best way and for me i find that's that's drinks drinks and gels fair enough um man dude this was amazing what's the my last question for you what would james be telling the 2011 james <laughs> uh that's a good question yeah you know, i'd probably i probably wouldn't tell him anything i'd probably let him figure it out uh i'm actually really i'm really grateful for my my journey um and i think looking back i wouldn't be the cyclist i am today if I didn't have the struggles, if I didn't have the failure, if I didn't have, if everything came too easy. So if I, if 2021 James went to 2011 James and said, this is all the stuff you need to do. Um, and it all worked right away. And I never had those struggles. Like you see, you, you kind of alluded to this when you said, you know, you see these people who, who, who do really well and then they quit. Um, I think in the long term for a professional athlete, it's much worse to have success early on than it is to have failure. Um, because the sport of cycling, unlike a lot of sports, is probably the one where you fail the most. Um, like the literally the best bike racers in the world win, I don't know, 10% of the time? Maybe? You know, like... Mm-hmm. So the rest of that is losing and you have to get really comfortable with failure. You know, like you, you can be in a, like some of the cyclists people look up to win once a year, twice a year, you know? So 
the other 80 times they lose, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's really difficult if you, re- if you haven't been exposed to that your whole life um, or your whole career as a cyclist. And so all of that to say is that I probably wouldn't, wouldn't even say anything to him. No, man, it's <laughs> good. I think it, you wouldn't have your main characteristic of resilience and just fighting because like, yeah, it would have been just, you would have had all the cheat codes and known what to do. And, yeah. you know, dude, this is incredible, man. I cannot thank you enough. This is going to inspire so many people and just help people through their journey of cycling. I lied. My real last question is you, where are you seeing this journey going? Where are you trying to take this thing? Honestly, all I want out of my second career, all I've ever wanted, all I continue to want is to enjoy myself, mm-hmm. is to make the people I care about proud, mm-hmm. and is to, I mean, I guess that's it. That's it. Those are the, only, the, the, the two basic, like, winning is, is gravy. You know, like, I, I don't want to say I don't care about winning. Because I'm obviously a professional athlete and I'm competitive, but if number one and number two aren't satisfied, uh, I don't really care. So um, I just want to continue to have a great time, love what I do, um, have fun, uh, continue to make the people who I care about proud, um, and that's it. Dude, that's, that's incredible, all. man. That's so that's <laughs> awesome. Hope to see you on some big GC podiums, dude. They're definitely coming your way. Keep being resilient, grinding. Like, there's so many people cheering for you, uh, making Canada proud. And it's, yeah, dude. Like, thank you for doing this. This is amazing. And taking the time with your schedule, it was top-notch. Can't thank you enough, man. Um, We'll definitely – oh, people want to follow you online. You on Instagram or you use Facebook more? What's kind of your thing so people can see? Um, More more – Instagram. I am not very good at social media, but I put some stuff on Instagram. And uh, if you want to see how I train and race and ride Strava, sweet. Um, that's it. Awesome, dude. We'll t- we'll put all the handles and tags and stuff like that down below and in the description. We'll tag in, post in a few weeks. And dude, best of luck. Uh, Enjoy the quick little downtime, and then the next race is Ruta del Sol in Set. about a week. Very cool. Well, we'll be rooting for you, James. Thank you again, man. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much. See you, man.